But be optimistic. Know that change can happen very, very fast. You know, yeah. I talk about the tipping point. Yeah. When we reach the tipping point, it's going to be very fast. And a lot of these great yeah. minds, like Greg Braden, Joe Dispenza, my teacher, Master Shard, and uh, Bruce Lipton, um, they're all in the 60s apart from Joe Dispenza. And yet, they all say they believe they're going to see world peace in their lifetime. Right. Now, that's, very, that's a beautiful message because they understand how easy it is. Critical mass. Critical mass, yeah. yeah. So take part in collective meditations and start a daily meditation, start a daily practice. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. I have another gorgeous, delicious man to introduce you to. His name is Nicholas Giannassi. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thank you very much. And thank you for everything you do and thank you for having me on. Oh, look, you're welcome. You're welcome. I met Nick at Unity Festival. We both spoke at Unity Festival. We're on a panel together. And Nick did a fabulous talk talking about quantum physics and quantum science and, and how we can spread world peace by looking into exactly how quantum works. And so I thought it would be great to get him on the show to share that information. Sorry, my other computer's going crazy over there. And uh, but he has a fascinating story, travels the world. Let me read his bio. Nick Giannassi is a meditation teacher who has dedicated his life to serving others. His passion is to help move humanity in the direction of universal love, peace and harmony. Nick's been a student under a Tao master for 10 years and also practices Buddhism. He spent the last two years traveling around Australia with his young family presenting scientific research showing how collective meditation is a genuine solution for world peace. And we were just chatting before I turned the recording on. He's been stuck in Tasmania, which is not a bad place to be stuck, which is that little piece of, for people that uh, are not Australian and don't know much about Australia, it's that little, like it looks like an island. It's actually a large piece of land under Australia, a little triangle at the bottom there. And I have to say, it is one of the most pristine environments in the whole world. Tasmania just has that crispness and pristineness like I've never seen before. It's such a beautiful place to be stuck. It is. <laughs> but, um, but because he's stuck there, he went down there for a 10-day holiday and then the corona thing hit and uh, he didn't bring your computer or anything. So we're interviewing, we're chatting to him on, on the phone. So let's, let's start with uh, how you got into like even thinking about this stuff. What, what were you doing in your life? Like who were you before you started thinking about world peace and, and how did it change? Okay, so <clears throat> I was always brought up as a Catholic in a loving family who didn't really, they weren't religious. Um, but growing up, I asked a lot of questions and I used to say my prayers and I never got any answers. Okay? I asked a lot of questions, never got a lot of answers. 
And then when I came to Australia in 2007, around 2007, 2008, I met a guy who was a good guy, uh, a lovely man, and he was an atheist, the first atheist I'd ever met. And I'm not saying I became an atheist, but I moved away from religion. Uh, and I wasn't an atheist because I'd had a few spiritual experiences before. What I mean by that is I, uh, I was with my nan a few, few, about an hour before she died. And I remember kissing her on the cheek. And then I went to the gym. I was about 18 then. I got a phone call. She died. I came back to the house and I kissed my nan again. And it was like kissing a cold war. And I, and I just, that was a beautiful experience for me because it was, my nan wasn't there anymore. The body was there, but that life force, that intelligence and that presence had, had left the body. So I always knew there was a, a soul or a spirit. But I knew, when, I, when I met the atheist and I looked at, you know, I was very mind dominated then as well. I love science and all the rest of it. I'm not a scientist by any means, but um, I... Uh, you I just moved away. I moved away from religion. Where so, did you grow up, Nick? Liverpool, England. Ah, Liverpool. Well, you, hence the accent. He's an Aussie, but he's got an <laughs> English accent. Liverpool, which is where the Beatles come from. Yeah. Okay, so what brought you to Australia? I just had enough of Liverpool, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm some serious. You know, it's just it's just this Groundhog Day. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's bad weather. It was yeah. No, I had a loving family, and I, I, when I was there, I didn't really acknowledge how uh, violent the place was because it was just normal. You know, there was always someone getting stabbed or killed in my area, and it was just like, yeah, well, you know, he desensitized from it. It was like, yeah, it was only a matter of time before he got killed. It was only that. You know, I'd seen some, some bad things and a lot of drugs around, but it was just, I didn't see it as being it was just the norm yeah and then when i came to australia for 12 months just to see if we just for a change and in a very short time within a few weeks i said to my wife uh, it wasn't my wife then but i said to my my, my wife now i said i'm i'm staying i said there's no, no matter what i'm staying I, i'm not going back now we've been here since 2007 i haven't even been back on holiday Wow. I've literally not been back since I got here. So I did everything I could to stay in the country to get sponsored. So just returning back to the, to the story of how I came across this, yeah. I had two years of, of, of sort of being very, very scientific outlook on things. And I won't, I won't drag this story out. I'll keep it very brief. But my wife's always been very sensitive. She's always said she's seen things, but I was the guy who was always saying, it's all in your head. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And uh, we moved into an apartment and my son was only one then. And he went from sleeping all night, all night and, and to just, when we put him in the, in the bedroom, he would stop breathing. He'd be screaming so much. He'd dirty his nappy. He'd be terrified. And I put it down to he's just in a different environment. Okay, we're just in a decent, it's a new environment for him. But things in that apartment were, were, were really full on. Uh, over the, the space of the time we were in that apartment, um, I had um, experiences where I would wake up in the night 
and it would be like someone was sitting on my chest choking me. Um, and long story short, a friend of mine who'd done a bit of Buddhist meditation, he, uh, he was seeing an acupuncturist at the time in Sydney, and he said, there's something about this guy. So long story short, we took the baby, we took the little guy to, to see him. And me and my wife sat in the room, and this was actually before the things really started heating up with me as well. Um, he sat on the floor with my son, and he started like chanting this soft like melody. And then he comes up and he, says, he sits back up and he says, um, your son is afraid of something in your apartment. And my wife started crying, and my wife said, She'd never, have any, I'd never had anybody to speak openly about. I wasn't the guy. I'd just shut her down, you know. Yeah. And he, she's, my wife said to him, this is what I'm experiencing and this is what I'm seeing. And it did have a bad feeling in there from the get-go, I'll be honest with you. And he said, yeah, that's exactly what you're seeing. What was she you seeing? Sorry, I've got to get some tissues. You're making me cry, Nick. <laughs> what was she seeing? Literally seeing entities, you know what I mean? Literally seeing uh, uh, dark, dark entities in there, you know? Some uh, rascally like, spirits. Some, yeah. yeah. But, but, but what happened was Dan, my wife uh, had a very traumatic experience in, an apart, in a house she lived in when she was younger. Yeah. She said she used to be terrified and always see like a, a, a ghost. Now, I've never really gone deep into this for Danielle's sake, but because we're on the topic here, I'll share it. Basically, she said to the guy, she said, I know that this is actually linked to me. Mm. And he said, it's true. And she, she said, I know this soul. This is the same situation as what happened when I was a kid. And he said, and take this with, you know, take this with a pinch of salt, but he said to her that in a past life, she, she, and she always loved the French language. She always loved uh, France. And he said, in a lifetime in France, you ridiculed a performer and his life it was never the same. He got ridiculed for the rest of his life. And this is, he, this is the, 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 the trouble that you're having now. So we got given uh, basic spiritual forgiveness practices to do. And long story short, all these questions I'd asked in this guy's waiting room, he had these books by a teacher. When I started, I picked up one book called The Power of Soul. And the Power of Soul book had all of my questions and all the answers. What's the purpose of life? What is the soul? Characteristics of the soul, blah, blah, blah. So I was still on the fence. I'm not easily convinced. You know what I mean? Um, but what the books were saying was, and I was doing a lot of training at the time. I've always boxed, you know, I've done Thai boxing, things like that. And when I came to Australia at that time, I was doing CrossFit and I was training a lot. And when I was reading the books, the books were saying about spiritual channels. Didn't know what a spiritual channel was. Didn't know what a third eye was. I was doing all this research. And, uh, but he was, th this uh, teacher was emphasizing the importance of opening your spiritual channels. And he said, if you do these practices, you'll get, you'll open your channels. So I was the type of guy then who was like, if that's what you're saying, you're, I'm either going to prove you right or prove you wrong. So I started doing from three to five hours meditation a day. I was chanting mantras, you know, everything. And I literally started having 
uh, seeing spiritual images and, and, and things like that within 12 months. And then I had all these incredible synchronicities, like just so much happening over a short time. I then wanted to know, do we have a solution as a species? Because at the same time, I started seeing all of these. I wasn't looking for it, but a lot of conspiracies were coming to me. Okay. And then not just somebody sharing a conspiracy, but then I'd see a documentary. Like I remember when someone first mentioned reptilians. I'm not saying I'm not going down that road, but somebody mentioned uh, the reptilian thing, right? And when that came up, I watched a documentary called The Wake Up. I suggest you, if you haven't seen it, watch it. It's called The Wake Up. You can watch it on YouTube. It's about a 35-year-old guy in America, and he got on Oprah. It's a, it's, a, it's a famous documentary. And in that documentary, his third eye opens later on in life, and he's not a spiritual guy. And he documents himself going to Buddhist temples, Christian churches, New Age, trying to get answers. And I'm pretty sure he goes to Russia. And this... this old school Russian guy sits him down and takes pictures of him with Kalian photography. Kalian, you know what Kalian photography is? High sensitivity cameras. So they're looking over the photographs and in the photographs, you'll see like a red, a red ball there and a green ball here and his aura and things like this. And when they get to the last photograph, he says, are you sure you want to see what's on the last picture? And the guy says, I know what you're going to show me. He said, I see them all the time. When they show the last picture, it's like, say he's meditating like that, there's like an image here of a reptilian's face. In right? front of his chest. In front of his chest. And he said, what are they? I see them all the time. And the, the Russian guy said, he didn't say reptilian. He said, they are negative entities, extraterrestrials that feed off negative energy. And then I came across Harry Oldfield. Harry Oldfield, if you don't know who he is, he was one of the first to introduced Kalian photography and he did a presentation where he was uh, showing photographs of Tibetan Rinpoche's under Kalian photography as those rainbow light coming off them and he also showed a photo photo of a crack addict a crack cocaine addict and he said we tried to help this um, young lady he said and when we interviewed her he said she was saying she always hears his sinister voices in her head telling her to kill her parents and things like this. And we took a photograph of her against a, a white black back wall. And you can see like two beings either side of her. And she ended up dying not, not long after. So all these things were happening, you know, so much was, was going on for me. And, um, and then I just wanted to know, do we have a solution? Are we doomed or do we have a solution? And when I went down that road, I just couldn't believe that the mainstream hadn't covered the abundance of scientific research that shows that we, you know, this reality is not solid and the observer effect influences reality, you know. So that was when I made the presentation. I've never made a presentation before, didn't do anything at school. So I gathered all this information. It took me over 12 months to do the presentation. And then I said to my wife, you know, we, you know, there were certain synchronicities with that as well, but we made the decision to get rid of everything and go traveling around the country trying to share this message. And that's what we did for two years. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> wow. I want to say one thing. 
not all reptilians are evil, uh, but there are some that are more service to self uh, rather than service to others, definitely. But uh, yes, I think the majority of the, not the majority, but a large section of human consciousness is more like that than ever before. But you could say it's being affected by reptilian energy. I don't know, whatever you want to say, but ultimately we're at choice in how we think and feel. And just like you, we can shift our perspective, we can shift our vibration and not be a vibrational match to those negative entities. You know, everything works along that law of attraction. What you, what you vibrate, what you put out in frequency attracts similar frequencies, whether it's uh, physical in the form of people or spiritual in the form of negative spirits. But um, what a story, Nick. So how long ago did you decide to get on the road? Uh, two years ago, it says on your bio. Probably more than it's probably about two and a half years ago. We actually from make, from making the decision to be in, living in the bus was like three months. It literally just once we made that decision and said yes to everything that came up. We were sitting in the bus. We had we got rid of anything, everything, and me and my wife were like, "Wow, that happened fast." <laughs> <laughs> so. So where, where have you been sharing? I mean, obviously, I met you at Unity Festival, which was a fabulous festival. How long ago was that now? It was a couple of months ago, wasn't it? Yeah. It to, to be honest with you, even in all that time, we never got to WA. Right. Yeah, because what we would do, we didn't have a plan, you see. So we would drive to an area, have a little feel of it. If we saw a yoga studio or an organic cafe, we'd right. see if they were open to have a presentation. If they said, yeah. We didn't, we'd invite other, you know, if we've seen other yoga studios, we'd say, we've got a presentation on if you'd like to come. And almost everywhere we went, the first presentation would always lead to another two, three or four in the area. So we'd stay up for quite a long time in, in each place. That's why it took a long time, you know. That's fabulous, Nick. Good on you. <laughs> Go for it. Look, uh, getting in a bus, selling your house and moving your young family into a bus and traveling Australia. I was, I was only renting. I didn't, I didn't sell a house. We just gave all our stuff away. All right. But still, moving everything yeah. into a bus and traveling Australia, presenting a message is a lot harder than creating a YouTube channel and just sharing the message on YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's a lot more effort involved. But, it, you know, you do see Australia, you have adventures, you meet people. It is a way to have an amazing lifestyle. Obviously, the coronavirus has put a stop to all that now and you're held up in Tasmania. Nick was just sharing with me before I turned the recording on that they found a beautiful little place at the base of a mountain that they're thinking of parking for a while. Right. We're not actually in the bus. So, so what happened was we came over here, we flew over. So my bus is on the mainland, my car's on the mainland, and my dog's on the mainland. And when this all, all hit, uh, we're just stuck. Luckily enough, the, the friend whose house we're staying in, they're letting us stay here. Um, so, you know, there's a possibility we might never see the bus again. We might never see the dog again. I hope that's not the case. Um, but, yeah, what we've decided is now that if we can get back to the mainland, we're going to get back. We're going to sell everything again get the dog and we're going to come straight back mm, beautiful because we don't plan anything I, I, I genuinely mean that we don't plan anything and you know when i look at how blessed you know we've been talking about coming to tasmania for a long time we never did we decided to book flights really spare at the moment 
where we're living with a friend. We're literally eating out the garden every night. Wow. Beautiful. And that's been a real spiritual experience for me and the family. We've never done that before. Yeah. And there's something so special about picking your dinner out the garden or picking an apple straight off the tree or a plum. And, um, yeah, we've just decided that that's what we want, you know. So we've got an opportunity to move to a beautiful little cabin. needs a bit of work done to it, but it's, it's out the way. It's at the foot of a beautiful mountain where we can grow our own stuff. So we've just decided, okay, this is the next chapter. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do that. <laughs> oh, darling, sounds like the dream. Look, I've been geeking out on uh, uh, a channel called Jonna Jinten, who's a Swedish girl, which I told you, who's, blo who's vlogging. And she did that. She moved out of the city into a remote part of Sweden and, and uh, yeah, and she's just out there with nature and growing her own vegetables. Mind you, you can't do that in winter in Sweden because everything's covered in 10 foot of snow. But um, just, just sharing that lifestyle with the world and it just it makes in this time of corona where they shut the beaches and you can't go out and do anything, I watch her videos because it just makes my heart sing because she's just beautiful photographer and she's showcasing nature and oh my god it's so gorgeous and then my daughter is out in the ocean with a group of friends they call it um isolation at sea what do they call it escape into isolation and they're um diving in the ocean and they're just sort of oblivious to what's going on in the mainland they're cut off at the moment even in the internet but the, every now and then they'll upload a video of what they've been doing and that's another escape <laughs> from the crazy that's happening here at the moment so you know, I've, yeah. had a, I've, had, I've had a number of different friends contact me and say um they want to get land and, and you know move off grid and what have you and one guy I was talking to, a good friend of mine, you know, a lot of my friends, including myself, have been saying this for a long time. And I said, you know, we don't know if we're going to be able to do that. We don't really, we can't plan for the future right now. We don't know what's going to happen. But if things do go back to, you know, we, we can get around. Um, we, if you want to do that, you want to do it instead of just talking about it, you know. Yes. If you want to, if you want to get the land, you know, I think many hands make light work. I think, especially in Tasmania, the, the land's cheaper. But there's so much land in Australia. I think you've got 10 families. You don't, you know, people automatically think of a commune, you know. But really, you could just buy a plot of land. Everyone help each other build their little plot. Everyone grow. And you don't necessarily need to see each other all the time. You're just living on your own land and providing food for each other. And I think... Um, if you want well, to do it, you should it's do so, it. It's so interesting you say that, Nick. I have um, this amazing teacher called Penny Kelly on the show who is, um, she's one of the most extraordinary people I've ever met on this planet, although I haven't met her in the physical, only on, online. She lives in upstate New York. She has a farm. She's just so galactic and she speaks to all the guides and flies around the universe. Look, she does all this stuff, but she's been growing, uh, you know, grow, she's been on the land most of her life. But she had these little men in brown robes show up 40 years ago. She's in her 70s now. 40 years ago, these ETs, I suppose you'd call them, or I don't know, highly dimensional, higher dimensional beings. And they said, we want to, you know, we want to share some information with you. Can you allow us? And they kind of gave it to her all as a virtual reality. Like she would sit on the couch and shut her eyes and then she'd be literally like inside what they were showing her. And... Um, 
and she wrote a book called The Robes, which showcases the images. They were there for a year or two. But they showed her a future time on Earth. And in this future time on Earth, they had these groups called the family groups that did exactly what you're saying, exactly what you're saying. But they had technology that we don't have at the moment. But humanity moved into more, um, more autonomy through supporting each other and having these family groups rather than having your own property or your own house that humanity came together to support each other and and they called them family because as we moved into a more unified way of living we didn't see our family just as the people who are blood related to us we saw everyone as family and the people that you lived with were your like family whether they were strangers or not and yeah and so you yeah you're talking about exactly what she's talking about and i guess that this whole crisis that we're going through is making people actually get up and do it not just think about it or dream about it but just like really make it happen well even that point of view you've just uh, touched on if the whole world viewed all humanity as family it's a different world it's a different world if you have if you have your son or your brother gets lost you know, does a few things you don't agree with. I know in some cases people don't forgive, but generally speaking, if they come back or you're there to help them and if they come back, you forgive them. We need that outlook, I think, with, with humanity, you know. Absolutely. So, <clears throat> sorry, let's get into the, the quantum. How did you get into the quantum science of it all? So you said you're a logical guy. You started seeing all this phenomena. That's the thing about Australians. Since this thing has happened, I have had umpteen amount of people send me videos and messages about what is deemed conspiracy but i have to say looking at what's happening in the world i don't see it as conspiracy anymore i see it as uh, just a breakdown of an old system and right. disclosure and um exposure of corruption happening uh, what has been deemed as conspiracy is actually now just the exposure of the just like you said when you lived in Liverpool, when you were talking about living in Liverpool and all the violence and stuff, you were just desensitised. It's like that's just life, right? That's just what happens. People get killed. People get ripped off. People are unhappy. That's life. Uh, what can you do about it? But I think that we've been swimming inside fear for so long and being controlled that we've not even noticed it. It's just life, right? It's just life. What can you do about it? But now there is this exposure and disclosure happening of this cesspool that we've been swimming in that we call life and um people aren't sort of standing for it anymore it's it's a really exciting time on earth right now it's a really it's, exciting time on earth uh, that's why that's why i've never in anything i've shared or anything i've ever taught or i've never shared to be angry mm. be afraid mm -hmm. hate them you know i never never said you don't want to hate the opposition and point the finger because what's happening is fundamentally a good thing. Yeah. And, and you have to, for example, in, in there, um, just say you have a spiritual teacher and they live the example of the teaching that they're sharing. Okay. You can thank them for the teaching. If you see a spiritual teacher who doesn't live what they teach uh, and, and makes people suffer and all the rest of it, you can thank them for showing you what doesn't work, they're, they're actually still giving you a teaching. So when we look at what's going on in the world, as you said, they, the, 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 the forces that have been running the show 
have shown us what doesn't work and fundamentally are pushing us in the right direction. Yeah. You know what? Pushing us in the right direction, exactly. You know what I have been a big advocate for, like the medical industry. This is what's being exposed at the moment. There's a woman online who was a doctor. She studied at Harvard. And even when she was studying, she realised that much of what they're taught to do never worked. But they still keep teaching people to do it. And people graduate, get jobs and practice it. And, and much of it never worked. And so it's like a broken system that just keeps happening. And we've been living inside this broken system forever. Look, there's so many people, everyone in my family died of cancer. And the cancer treatment, I won't give it a name, everyone knows what it is, has been known not to work in 99.9% .9 of cases and yet they still keep rolling it out. <laughs> but a part of the same system is making people um, need a living. So what I mean yeah. by that is when I look at teachers and when I look at doctors, the I'm not saying the majority, a lot of them that I see are doing it for a job. You know, a lot of teachers now that I've seen, they're doing it because they can be off when the kids are off and it's just a job. They're not really passionate about making a difference in kids' lives. And a lot of the doctors, it's a good job. You know, they get looked yeah. after. It's not necessarily, if, if, you know, if that's what they're telling us to do, we'll do it. There's n and it's the same in the police force. I think the most, some of the most important people we need to try and reach the hearts of is people in forces yeah. because when you look at the way that the way that where they're trying to push the agenda and I don't think it'll get there um, it's the it's the authorities that are going to push it and I watched the video the other day of a guy who knew the law he knew common law he knew his rights in Victoria oh, Dave, David yeah I've met Dave and he's get he's the police are at his front door mm. the police are giving him a, a hard time but he knows what he's saying Mm. And the guy behind, who's videoing it knows what he's saying. And the, the guy says to the police officer, how do you feel doing this? Do you like doing this? And the police officer said, no, I don't. And yeah. he said, well, why are you doing it then? He said, I've got a job to do. I know. And that, if, if every police officer said, you know what? This doesn't feel right. The, you know, if I don't have my uniform on, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm just the same guy. And if they all said they don't want to go outside their moral compass, um, they change things very fast. But that, again, is a technique they use. I spoke to a couple uh, who, were, who were retired police officers, and I got a lot of insight. One of them is having troubles with their eyesight. Uh, and she said to me, I, I was talking to you about PTSD. She said, when I was in the force, no one spoke about PTSD. And she said, uh, as this happened all the time. She said, but I remember one week, one of my best friends that I was having a barbecue with on the weekend, on the Monday, I turned up to a car accident. He was dead. The day after, she turned up to, uh, to somebody who had killed his kid. And the day after, she turned up to a cop death. And she said, the day after that, or, the, or that night, the, head, you know, the guy in charge said, I'll see you at seven in the morning. It was nothing. And she said, what you end up doing is you create a sick personality. You start laughing at these things as a coping mechanism. Right. So I believe a lot of the police force, you know, they're dealing with uh, bad, generally bad things, domestic violence and things like this. 
And as a coach, because that's so against our nature, you know, we, we develop this uh, coping mechanism, which is a sick humor. But if you have a group of people that are, you know, a force that are living like that, it's, it's, it's a closing of the heart. You with yes. me? And yeah. more and more, more mind, more ego. So I think that's intentional, you see, because then, you know, when you look at military, they're trained to not ask questions, just act on orders. orders. This is what, you know, the, the, the hardcore SAS and the um, Foreign Legion, I watch documentaries with them. Mm. They are trained to not ask questions, just obey orders. That's mind control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, people like David Icke, I remember he said years ago, he said, I'm getting so many letters from genuine old school, good police officers mm-hmm. that have been in the game for years. Mm-hmm. And they are saying that the application forms have changed and the application forms are filtering out good guys. Wow. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And they, they, they're more structured to people who are a bit power mad. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do know Which, what you mean. So, you know, but at the same time, everyone's got a heart and I believe everybody's good. And I think if it's rather than creating this divide against us and the police, if we can try and speak to the police, that's what I want to do next. Actually, I've been thinking about this. I want to try and get to know a lot of police officers and just speak to them about their job and what they're doing. You know, this woman, she said she's having issues with her eyes. I'm not saying this is the same thing, but. In Joe Dispenza's book, I think it's You Are the Placebo, he talks about uh, women who had their families tortured and killed in the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia. And some of them went blind on the spot. And some of them went blind weeks, months, years later. But there was nothing wrong with their eyes as a coping mechanism because they'd seen so much trauma. They just went blind. It's wow. so sad. Oh, wow. I know. Look, I absolutely agree with you. I was just saying on a show yesterday or the day before that when I went down to the beach and the beach was shut, there was a bunch of policemen standing around talking and I waved at them and they looked at me. Well, only one saw me. She looked at me like, what the hell are you waving at? Because I, they don't get you treated nicely. And I'm thinking they're only doing their job. They're people too. You know, as it's much true. as I'd love to get in that water and they're not letting me. Ah, they're doing their job. But she was so perplexed that I waved at her, like, what the hell are you waving at? I had a a similar experience with a friend of mine I was with. He was a very loving guy. Police van drove past. And he was was going like this. And he he says he loves everything he sees. He walks past the dog. He says, love you. He walks past the tree. He says, love you. And he's waving to these police officers going, love you. And they're waving back the same. They look like, wow, someone's actually waving to us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's 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 true they're human beings and as this divide gets bigger they start defending what they the force you know what i mean and we need to bridge that gap <clears throat> absolutely you know i've got a girlfriend she's not a policeman anymore but when we were really young she left school uh she didn't want to really study anything she didn't really know what she wanted to do but she became a policewoman and she was dropped like she's like six foot tall and drop dead gorgeous you've never seen her more beautiful she's still gorgeous she's in her 50s and she's still dropped dead. anyway i asked her she wasn't a policeman for that long but i asked her why did you become a policeman and she said well i looked around at the shortest course i could do to get a job and the police force was it wow wow <laughs> 
she had no she had no um agenda she had no power she didn't want to defend the law or anything she just thought oh i can get a job in a couple of weeks if i do this course isn't that hilarious how long was she in for oh not long a year or two not long yeah yeah not long but uh yes i know what you mean i had this experience we had this crazy landlord who lived underneath us and she was abusing her children and I rescued one of her children and she got really, really angry. Her child would, had cerebral palsy. She was crippled. She's a beautiful young girl, really psychic. But anyway, her mother was abusing her physically and, and mentally. And, and I rescued her and I, and I said, you can come and stay with us until your mum calms down. Anyway, long story short, she called the police on me. And she'd given the police this big story about me being the abuser, right? So the police knock at my door. There's two of them two guys there were two guys and I could tell that they were angry they were angry and it didn't matter what the story was or what the truth was they wanted to get me they wanted to lock me up because they had swallowed her story lock stock and barrel and I listened to my guidance that day and I'm so grateful I did but everything in me wanted to defend my point of view everything in me wanted to defend because from my perspective, I was in the right. But from her perspective, she was in the right. But these policemen were completely hypnotized by her story. And my guide said, whatever you do, don't defend yourself. Just nod and say, I'm sorry, officer. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, sir. Three bags full, sir. And the ego in me wanted to say, no, this is so unfair. They need to know what's really going on. But my guidance just shut me down. It was such a beautiful lesson, Nick, honestly. And I just stood there and they're going, they're going, they're yelling at me, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going, yes, okay, thank you, yes, okay. And I never defended myself and they left. And I was exhausted at the end of this. And I sat down and I said, what the hell was that about? They said, they were so convinced that you were in the wrong. It didn't matter what you said. If you defended yourself, they would have put you in jail. They would have handcuffed you and dragged you away. But if you didn't, you know, if you didn't resist them and you just polite, were polite and just said, yes, I'm sorry, yes, 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 they, they didn't really have any reason to arrest you and they would leave. And, oh, my God, that was such an amazing experience. Congratulations. Congratulations for listening to my guidance and not my ego because my yeah. ego is screaming, but it's so unfair. They need to know. But defense, you know, defense is the first, Byron Katie says, defense is the first act of war. And so I got to practice something that I had read, you know, about how if we defend and like if we push against, we, um, but just the, hip, the hypnotism that the two policemen were under, you know, just in that, in that role of the power struggle and, you know, like that power, that power, like they were just hypnotized by this, we're defending this poor lady, you know, because you're the enemy. Yeah, and they didn't, they didn't have the story at all. They didn't have the truth at all, but. Uh, Good wow. for you. Yeah. Anyway, let's get into your quantum. So how did you come across quantum and tell us about it? What do we need to know about quantum physics? Yeah, well, as I say, I'm only pulling from the people, you know, like you, Joe Dispenza's and Greg Braden's. I was fascinated in their work for a long time. Uh, fundamentally, it's our reality is not what we think it is. You know, the Buddha said this. Anyone who's actually reached enlightenment has said this reality 
is an illusion. And now quantum physics is saying that an atom is 99.129 empty space or information, whatever, you know. And I like Joe Dispenza's explanation. In, in You Are the Placebo, the book. Have you read that book? I know. It's a great book. It's a great book. Because first he gives so, nearly 100 examples of incredible placebo uh, studies. Um, so yet you say, okay, I get that the placebo works. We all get that the placebo works. But then he says, what is actually happening? And what he's saying is, there is an observer. Okay, you can call it the soul, whatever. Uh, the Buddha, when he sat under the tree, an insight that he got was that things come into existence, whether it's the sun, the tide, a bird flying past, the breath, they exist and then they move out of existence. But everything is observed by presence. Now, Deepak Chopra says, which is really beautiful, he said, the soul is actually not in three-dimensional reality. It observes three-dimensional reality. So three-dimensional reality is impermanent, always changing, like our bodies have changed since the beginning of this interview. We're not mm. the same person we were. And in the Zen tradition, they say, if you get a picture of yourself as a baby, toddler, teenager, present day, you keep changing, but there's a presence there that is always present, always there. And that presence is there before you come into the body. It's there when you leave the body. So that presence observes time and space, observes three-dimensional reality. Now, in this three-dimensional reality, all possibilities or potentials exist. But it's, we experience what that observing consciousness wants to observe. So in you at the placebo, he's basically saying what your observing consciousness believes it will observe because it already exists. It already exists in the field. And the, what happens in the body is if you take, for example, there's a study on a woman who has had terrible depression. Now, under brain scans, if you have depression, the front part of your brain, there's no electrical fire there. So they gave uh, the placebo. They, it was just the sugar pill or whatever it was. But they, they actually said this is a breakthrough drug. But you're, there's some side effects. You're going to feel nauseous, okay? So what did the woman who took it, that she started feeling nauseous, but her depression went away. But not only that, when they scanned their brain, there was more electrical fire. So what he's saying is where the, what you believe, the body will produce whatever chemistry it needs. So that's on a, on a personal level, but on a collective level, and, I, and, and this all went hand in hand with conspiracy, by the way, because I started thinking to myself, well, they understand, I say they, but, you know, the, the, the people who control the world, the 1%, whatever you want to call them, they understand this principle more than we do because they always are directing our collective consciousness yep. to observe a world that is a harmful, fearful world where yep. we should all be scared of each other and they divide and conquer. Okay? There's 24 hours a day news channel, and you yep. might get 
one good story a day and that good story is a cat got rescued out of a tree or something stupid you know what i mean <laughs> so it, it, it's it's just non-stop negativity and i just it, all these dots were making sense i was thinking wow of course it is but you know when you look at the double slit experiment um what they're fundamentally saying is one person observing observing a reality can manifest it but the more people observe the same reality the stronger the field Yep. So that's basically the, 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 the foundation for it. And never more poignant than what we're going through right now, right? And, really, yeah. you know, you talk about the media, that, that exactly that is why I started this show over 10 years ago, was understanding that as we watch our media systems and we're so enamored by them, whether it's news or entertainment, we're being fed fear, fearful messages. Yep. And I thought, what can I do? Just like you said, what can I do? And you put your family in a bus and started traveling the world. I thought I can speak about what I know and put it out there, put it out, you know, on media. And uh, yes, and I was not alone because there's now millions of shows out there that are spreading the message, which is so thankful, really. If, there, if there's one message I want people to take away who've seen the presentation, you know, I talk about a lot of research and then we experience a meditation. But the one message I want people to get is that it's actually simple. Yeah. It's not, you know, in the Tao Te Ching, is an ancient Taoist classic text, which I suggest everybody listen to. There's a, there's a, a statement called Da Tao Jirjin. It means the big way is extremely simple. Okay. The simpler, the, 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 the more powerful. And when we understand that we do matter, uh, conscious observation does matter. Uh, and when we see things like, you know, I talk about the tipping point, um, the importance of moving into the heart, because if you've got somebody who's completely skeptical and think you're mad, if enough people are moving into the heart space and shifting the field, they're not going to necessarily turn around straight away, but they're going to move into their heart. Yeah. You with me that that energy is moving them into the heart and then the more we can keep that up the 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 more heart open the more your mind's open you know what i mean yeah. and that's why i'm a part of two movements right now i'm part of the love peace harmony movements obviously but we've just uh, a friend of mine's just started a global awakening movement and his goal is to love peace harmony's goal is to get 1.5 billion people meditating together and singing one song global awakening movement is to get at least 1 million people meditating every week. Now that's very important because in the studies that they've done, there's over 23 peer-reviewed studies on uh, peace gathering projects. They've found that on average, crime, emergency room visits and things like this are dropped on average greater than 70%. But what they say is the days and weeks after those figures return to normal and normal is incoherent. Mm. So that's why I love this global awakening movement because if we can keep a million people plus every week, you're just going to keep that field until there's tipping points happening. And I believe the tipping points happening now. Yeah. What I'm seeing in the world right now yep. is a mass awakening. I have people saying to me, um, you know, why is it taking so long? And I say, mate, you look at how long we've been on the planet, how long things have been, wars and whatever. whatever. If you look at this awakening, it's literally a spike like, like this. It's happening 
relative time, when you look at relative time, it's a blink of an eye, you know what I mean? It's happening quickly, it is, yeah, yeah. Because I've been in this game, game, <laughs> game of life, uh, you know, the spiritual movement for many years and we would gather every Monday night and talk about all this stuff and then go out into our lives and really see no change happening like about 25 years ago. And just in the last 10 years, I've seen exp like unbelievable acceleration of consciousness and change and, and it just keeps, and, and what we're going through now is, again, unbelievable acceleration of... Well, thank you for your contribution, your consistent contribution over that time. Because as when I look at people who have been doing this for such a long time with, you know, the intention of creating a better world and I'm seeing it coming, you know, I've only been doing this for 10 years. I'm a baby. I don't know what I'm, I'm talking about. But when I see people like yourself, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's great. I think it's so, and don't get me wrong, I've had times where people have, doubted me people still doubt me now and you follow your heart obviously and keep moving forward but um as long as you've got your intention you know i'm doing this for the greater good i i believe that what i'm doing will relieve the suffering you know that's the bodhisattva vow in buddhism i vow to relieve the suffering of all sentient beings you know that's a big vow don't that doesn't matter how long it takes i i vow to never become a buddha unless there's no more suffering. It's a big vow. It's a selfless vow. And that's your vow? It is my vow. That's your vow. Oh, beautiful. Oh, beautiful. Well, you've put your money where your mouth is. You've like literally set out to shift your life, both spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically by, you know, selling up and getting on the road. So maybe um, maybe you've inspired some more people to do that today, Nick. <laughs> you know, I, I, at the same time, I don't think you have to do that. I think um, being peaceful, genuinely peaceful, not pretending you're peaceful and you've got a war going on inside, but, you know, I think people have a different perspective of what meditation is and the spiritual journey. If you want to quiet your mind because you've got a little bit of anxiety or depression, that's great. But when you actually go on a spiritual journey, like when you think, you know what, this, this is the truth for me. You know, I wanted to be a cage fighter. I wanted to be a professional footballer. I wanted to be a millionaire. You know, I'd go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. When I found spirituality, it was like, wow, I've actually, this is what I've been looking for. You know what I mean? I, it, you know, with, uh, obviously it's different. I've got a family. But honestly, if I ended up being homeless on the street, it's all good. You know, once you find your spiritual path, you found your spiritual path. You know what I mean? And uh, when you take, when you find that, it's not all uh, rainbows and sunshine. You have to work through your stuff. Yeah. And it's very challenging. It's hard. You know, I've had to face some of the mistakes I've made. I've made big mistakes in this lifetime alone, you know. Um, you have to move deep into forgiveness, but you have to forgive yourself. So the reason I'm talking about this is if you really feel compelled to make a difference in the world, you have to change your own life. You have to find peace within yourself. And uh, if you find peace within yourself, that is one of the biggest contributions to world peace. Absolutely, Nick. Absolutely. You know what I'm thinking as you're talking? 
I'm thinking a lot of people who start some type of spiritual journey and then feel like they want to turn their life around and, and do something more spiritual or speak a message or, you know, they, they're still entrenched or trapped in a, um, like a money system that means they need to pay mortgages. Just like we were talking about the police, you know, I have to follow mortgage. I have to follow orders because I've got a mortgage and I've got kids in school that I need to feed and educate. And, and this is my job and I need to keep my job, even though morally I feel like this is wrong. I need this job to pay all those bills. That's the trap. We, that's the trap we all get in. Right. And that's a conversation I had with a lot of people. How do I get out of that trap? I had a client the other day as an old friend and for 20 years, he's been running a business that he started with a spiritual perspective and he couldn't get spiritual people to come along and, and, and participate in this business. So he made it more mainstream. So he's been doing this mainstream business for 20 years and his heart is not singing. So he's asking, what's my next step? Because this is no longer making my heart sing. But the reason his heart is not singing is because he's not fulfilling that spiritual urge to really teach people to present this message to do what you're doing and so that he's in that sort of trap because he's all he's got the mortgage and he's got all the bills so he has to keep the business and he's and he's afraid to be more like live uh, i don't know like have more of a, a spiritual business thinking it's not going to make him the money because there's not enough people that would be attracted to it than the mainstream he, he makes it more mainstream so he's inside that fear and i see that a lot with people but what would you say to that what would you say to people like that well you're still in survival yeah and when you're in survival and you know this is why i think people like joe dispenza great speakers and they talk about this when you're in survival you're whether you mean it or not, obviously that guy's got intentions to save. Yes. But the survival aspect is making him focused on selfishness. He doesn't probably, he's not aware of that because he doesn't want to be a selfish person. But when you're in survival, uh, that's basically the frequency and the message you're giving out. So, you know, I, find, I have compassion for these people because once you're in, I've had a small business by the way, as well, I used to have clothes shops in England. And you get to a point where you, you, the money's just not coming in. And there's a point where you, you, you've got to either just keep grinding it up until you go bust or you pull the plug on it. You know what I mean? And that, that is, that is a, a hard situation that I think a lot, a lot of small businesses are in. Um, but if you can get out of it in some way or change your, your thinking. Change your thinking. Change your thinking and change your feeling. See, my teacher says, just save. Just save. If you're happy, save. If you are sad, save. If you are depressed, save. And he, he uses a technique which is unconditional universal service. So what that means is when you do your meditation, even if you can do five, ten minutes, Instead of trying to quieten the mind, you invoke all beings everywhere and you dedicate your time to chanting for them. So I'll give you an example. There's a mantra, uh, uh, an ancient mantra called Wan Ling Rung He. It means all souls join together as one. And one is the source. It's return home to the source. So if I was to sit down 
and I'm really struggling and I'm not going to try and quiet my mind because there's a, there's a war going on inside. But if I can just change my attitude to, you know what, for this 10 minutes, I am going to chant for the benefit of all beings everywhere to come together and give my love, right? Chant for 10 minutes or an hour. It shifts everything you see. It really shifts everything. And my teacher says that when you do things like that and chant mantras like that, you have all of these benevolent beings with you. You see, when we look at a, another Taoist outlook is a, a raging river, okay? If you swim, you don't have to swim with the river, but you can swim in the direction the river's going. You have the whole weight of the river behind you. If you swim against it, well, you, you know, there's, a, there's an ancient saying, follow Tao flourish, which is universal laws and principles, go against Tao finish. And that's how we can use an, an analogy. You swim with the current, takes you, you go against it, you, you're not going to last long. So many people separate themselves from the whole because they're in survival. It's me against the whole. And that's on a micro level, that's what a cancer cell does. Yeah. On, on a macro level, that's what we're doing to the planet. We've separated ourselves from nature and we're, we're damaging the planet. So by changing your perspective of how can I save today? And even if you, you, you feel like, I don't know, go and buy someone a coffee. Yeah. Or go and do something for someone and don't let anyone know you did it. Yes. I mean, just go and just go and do something nice and just see how that makes you feel. Yep. You know, there's yang service is service that people know what you're doing. Yin service is more aligned with the Tao because no one knows what you're doing. In the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu says, true virtue, the Tao Te Ching is Tao in it's two books, Tao and Du. So Tao is Lao Tzu's trying to point in the direction of what the Tao is. But he starts the book by saying, um, the Tao that can be comprehended by words or comprehended by thoughts is not the true Tao. So he starts the book by saying, anything I write now is not Tao. Because once you put it into words, you've lost it. But because he was asked to write a text, he writes one and he's, so the first path is pointing in the direction of what the Tao is. Der is virtue of living in harmony with it. But that virtue is a humble virtue. If I do something because I think I'm getting virtue for it, I've lost the virtue. If I go and buy someone a coffee because I think I'm doing something good, something good's going to come back to me, you're not going to get that good deed. You with me? You do it because you want to do it. And I think that's where heart and mind come in, in gratitude versus complainer. Somebody who's grateful lives from the heart. They give because they feel like they've already got enough, even if they're homeless. Complainers actually feel like they're owed and they're always trying to take from life. And they fundamentally become anti-life. And, and then your business becomes anti-life and then this becomes anti-life. You know, everything's anti-life around you. So my 
to answer your question simply, it would really try and make the effort of opening your heart. And that comes from contribution. Do some selfless contribution. I, yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Nick. Uh, I absolutely agree. I think that with many people that still suffer from the survival, the survival trap, they think that they're loving, heart-filled people. They think that they contribute, but they still worry about money. You know, what happened with this client, not mentioning any names, is we looked at, um, we looked at his subconscious thought form. So he's an older man now, but he was still running on, I have to um, be successful so that my family approve of me. You know, I can't, he had this sort of shame. And, and so he's kind of running on these subconscious beliefs that even though he's, he's a loving spiritual person, these beliefs were still running him. And so the survival thing was all tied up with, I've got to make sure I look successful and it's all tied up with looking good, right? So that you approve of me. Yeah. So that you love me. So you approve of me. And even though these people that he was seeking approval from had long since died, he, he was still running on. So we looked at those beliefs and we let go of those beliefs, but uh, it's amazing how they can, yeah, they, these subconscious beliefs can run your life and, and control your actions and your mind and your heart and you don't even see them. You know, Joe Dispenza talks about this a lot. Uh, what, what do you want to say to that? I was just going to say, I still can, I'm still compassionate for people because as much as I, I genuinely don't plan and things always go well, you know, yeah. it, it, it's, I still have compassion for people who have families because as a father, I still do have a, a responsibility to provide for my family. So that, that is still lingering in me, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Even though I trust everything's okay, it always is. Mm -hmm. uh, that is still, I can understand why people can't just let go for that reason. So easy anyway, and it's, it takes practice. Yeah, yeah. In the case that you just spoke about, it's a different situation. It is more of a judgmental type of belief system, you know? Yeah, so the work is finding, finding what distorts our view of the world, finding what keeps us from serving unconditionally and knowing that we are completely loved and supported and, you know, that all is fine, like finding what is a barrier to really living that truth and that those are those subconscious beliefs within us. And, and much of them have been, you know, happened like you talked about part that past life with your with your um with your wife like there was you know this this leftover energy as you were talking about that i'm chatting to my guides and i'm saying now why is that happening and they're just saying you know in order to find forgiveness you can have it happen as a physical thing you know if your father beats you up and you need to forgive them or you can have some past life come and haunt you and you still, it's still a way in which to find forgiveness. But the past life coming to haunt you, it opens up like it, to me, it felt like it opened up this world for all of you, that there is more to life than just this physical life, that there is other things going on. And so that whole experience that you shared at the beginning with your son and your wife, just really opened that up, especially for you with the logical mind that needed to see that there's more to life than just what we see, you know. 
Uh, well, we, we often talk about this. When we left that apartment, and, and we had a lot of things happen in that apartment, it'd be like uh, clothes, baskets flung across the room and all the rest wow. of it. Yeah. When we left that apartment, we actually, I remember, we turned around as we were leaving, yep. and we said, thank you. Oh. And it was honestly, from that, uh, that time there, I found my spiritual teacher, my spiritual path, and I was so um, rigid back then that yep. it took something like that. Wow. You know what I mean? Otherwise, I wouldn't have. It was like sometimes I actually often thought to myself, it could have been my benevolent spiritual guides. Yes. I yep. actually think that sometimes. I think, you know what? Maybe... Yep. That was the kick up the ass that I needed from my, you know. <laughs> so I, I never see it as a bad thing, you know. Yeah. Like, because another thing I think people are blinded by, because when you're down on earth, everything looks so serious, you know. Every time I fly in a plane, I always get insight. Flying to Tasmania, you know, when you're looking down on the, the surface of the earth, you realize that we're just like ants, you know what I yep. mean? It's, yeah. The earth's just so big, you know, the sky is just so big. And um, one thing that I think being down here causing the drama we forget is that in the yin, you look at the yin-yang symbol, you have good action, bad action that are a part of each other. You can't explain good without bad, okay? They, they actually depend on each other. They swim into each other, okay? Yeah. They, they carry each other. Uh, you can't explain up with down. So, you know, this is the, 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 the dualistic nature. Yeah. But the Tao is the, the wholeness that gives birth to that, or that, 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 that creates that. Mm -hmm. And that force is benevolent. Yes. You get me? The, the, the actual grand intelligence, whether you want to call it God, Tao, whatever you want to call it, it's forgiving, it's loving, it's caring. You know what I'm saying? So... Yeah. It's when we embody it's pure, those positive energy, pure correct. positive energy. So Look, when we, when we, sorry, when we can, when we align with that, mm -hmm. everything changes because just like in the, the, the river, you're swimming in the direction, you've got the weight of the river. When you become selfless, genuine, and it takes time to be completely selfless. I'm not even saying I'm there yet, but you feel supported by the whole cosmos. Yes. The whole universe is support, supporting you. You're following the Tao, flourishing. Yeah. It's so true. Because all phenomena is selfless. I'm so sorry. If you look at uh, these he headphones, they save selflessly all the time. If you look at the phone, it saves as a phone selflessly all the time. You look at a chair, it saves selflessly as a chair all the time. A cup, a tree, everything is self uh, selfless. So... The ego, which is why I think uh, The New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, classic. It's a classic text. He's breaking down what the ego is, deeply going into the ego. And fundamentally, it's separation consciousness. Yeah. And separation is death. If you separate a leaf from a petal from a flower, petal dies. Separate mm. the flower from the tree, flower dies. Tree from the earth, tree dies. Earth from the soul is blah, 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 blah. You keep going. So separation is death and unity is life. There you have it. There's a, there's a tweetable moment. Bumper sticker. Separation is death. Unity is life. 
Oh, Nick, I love talking to you. You make it all sound so simple. You know, I think the Tao, as you called it, or God, so many names for the same thing. I put a lot of people uh, on the show who've had near-death experiences that go to that place of pure positive energy. And all of them say, there's no words to describe it, which is just exactly what the Tao says. You know, it, it, when I describe this, yep. you've kind of lost it. <laughs> so as soon as I put words to it, you sort of lose it. And they all say that same thing, that, that pure positive energy place that we come from, that who we are, no words to describe it. You really just have well, to trust it and live it and just know it. Experience it. It's true. When the, when, yeah. when the Buddha taught, Buddha taught by explaining what enlightenment isn't. Right. Because if I explain to you what enlightenment is, everything I say is what it's not. You with me? Because it can't be explained in words. If I told you what uh, falling in love was like, and you were like, yeah, I think I, I, think I know what he's on about. And you go, you go and meet your soulmate. You'd say, whoa, he didn't have a clue what he was on about. The experience <laughs> is where it's at. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Well, any last uh, messages you'd like to impart with people? Did we kind of get into quantum? We did. We did a bit. Yeah, we did. We did. I think that as any last words is um, be optimistic. And don't just try and convince yourself you're optimistic. Read some great texts. You know, the Tao Te Ching is a very neutral text. Read the power of now. Read the New Earth. These are brilliant texts. Read um, Joe Dispenza's work if you want to understand what's going on. Because some people like myself, the reason why I structured the presentation to have the research first, then the experience, is because when your mind can fully understand, wow, I get how this works scientifically, then you're game to try and experience, you're ready to try and experience it. You know what I mean? That's why yeah. I tried to design it for skeptics. I was a skeptic, I'm an open-minded skeptic. So I tried to design it for my friends and family. So, um, and I think Joe Dispenza, Greg Braden, Bruce Lipton, they do a great job of translating scientific language to people like me who don't really know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Just average, average people. So, but be optimistic. Know that change can happen very, very fast. You know, yeah. I talk about the tipping point. Yeah. When we reach the tipping point, it's going to be very fast. And a lot of these great yeah. minds like Greg Braden, Joe Dispenza, my teacher, Master Shard, and uh, Bruce Lipton, um, they're all in the 60s apart from Joe Dispenza. And yet they all say they believe they're going to see world peace in their lifetime. Right. Now that's very, that's a beautiful message because they understand how easy it is. Critical mass. Critical mass, yeah. Mm. So take part in collective meditations and start a daily meditation, start a daily practice. Well, your presentation, as you talk about it, uh, you gave it, you know, you do it physically, but you're, you're, you're in one place. Are you going to upload the presentation to YouTube? Like, it's on YouTube. Oh, it is. Okay. Well, where can people go to see it? It's, it's on YouTube. There's part one, 
through to seven. I broke it up into like 10 minute segments. Okay. Uh, my, Nicholas Giannassi, that's my YouTube channel, Nicholas okay, Giannassi. Great. It's got yeah. the presentation on there. A few other teachings, and there's actually, I tell you what, when I listened to uh, the audio book from Joe Dispenza called Becoming Supernatural, mm -hmm. in that book, he uses a technique if you go to his advanced retreats, because in his advanced retreats, he actually wires people up. He measures biochemistry, uh, brainwave activity, energy in the room, and all the rest of it. But what he gets people to do is create what he calls a mind movie. So you get inspirational music and you, um, you put like uh, positive images on there, things you want to experience in your life. And then in the advanced retreats, he has a technique where you, you uh, watch this like kaleidoscope for 40 minutes or so until you go into a, a, like almost like a trance state. You have your headphones on and then you watch your mind movie. And it programs your subconscious mind. And you then feel it, smell it, taste it, you live it, and you draw that experience to you. And he's got loads of testimonials of people who have manifested all these things in their life. Well, I got goosebumps when I heard that. And I made a mind movie for everybody to manifest world peace. So that's on YouTube as well. So it's me breaking it down. It's only a nine-minute video. And then the last four minutes is visualizing and feeling world peace and with, with nice music to it and that's all. I, th I thought to myself, if everyone around the world was doing the same uh, mind movie at the same time, we we're going to pull that reality to us. There you go. And where do you want to send people to get involved in mass meditations? There's the lovepeaceharmonymovement.org. The Global Awakening, uh, the Institute of Heart Math have one, the Global Coherence Initiative, Joe, Joe Dispenza has one. Uh, just do, do your own research, find one, because obviously not one movement will resonate with everyone, not one teacher will resonate with everyone. Find what meditation you like, what teachers you like, and just take part in it, because fundamentally it's the same outcome for all of them. And you teach meditation, do you do it online or do you only do it in person? I do Wednesdays. I um, do a meditation every Wednesday. It's usually seven o'clock. On Facebook Live at seven p.m. Uh, of Sydney, Eastern Sydney Australian time. Yes, on a Wednesday, and the Global Awakening Movement nine a.m. nine p.m. every Sunday. There's a thirty to forty minute meditation, yeah, and there's different facilitators on that platform. That's Australian Eastern Standard Time and that's the global awakening and uh, Facebook and Instagram well we have a lot of American listeners and watchers uh, so that doesn't work for them our mornings work for them maybe you're gonna start doing some in the mornings <laughs> get a global well, they, audience <laughs> yeah 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 well I always share them anyway so you can always watch them on my page watch them back yeah beautiful and your Facebook page is Nick Dan Bow Love, N I C K D A N B E A U Love. Nick Dan Bow. I'm Nicholas. My wife's Danielle. My son's Bow. <laughs> okay, now I get why your Facebook page is so beautiful. <laughs> oh, darling one, it's been such a joy and a pleasure and a blessing to talk to you today. Thank and you, you so much. And you, thank you so much.
Oh, what a joy. The beautiful Nick. Nick is. He had me crying. I've got like, mascara running all down my face. Oh, such a joy. He is just someone who really walks his talk. I had a bit of a chat to him before and after, you know, trying to get him organized so people can actually engage in his conversation because he's like, oh, I just want to keep things simple. I said, yeah, simple's great, but it's also great to be able to have somewhere where people can go and find you. So at the moment, he's only got the YouTube and his Facebook, but not everyone's on Facebook. Uh, to, to be able to engage in his message, but he'll get it together. He, as I say, he's been traveling for the last few years and, and because of the pandemic, the panic pandemic, he's had to stay in one place and he's going to stay in one place for a, a while and maybe when he is in one place, he can get some sort of blog up or website or somewhere where you can read more about him and engage in his message because he really walks his talk. He's He's more about actioning than he is about writing about it, as he said. But um, he's, uh, I hope you enjoyed that. He's, I think he's really good at getting the message across with his Liverpool accent. Maybe you couldn't understand him because of his accent. <laughs> he's saying, sir, serve, serve, serve. I don't know. Maybe it sounds more American the way he says it than the way I say it. Thanks again for watching and uh, please share the shows and uh, like and subscribe and all that good stuff. I, I said in the last video that I have turned off all the advertising on, on uh, where are we, YouTube. Uh, I don't think there's any advertising on the other platforms I'm on. But uh, what has happened is that um, because I've turned off the advertising on all my shows, I had them off on pretty much most of them, but I turned them off on all my shows which I had to do them all individually and there's hundreds of hundreds of videos up there. I am no longer in the feed. So because I'm not cow, cow, what is it, like serving their commerce on YouTube, they're no longer putting my shows in the feed because I have a couple of YouTube channels and I was looking on my other YouTube and I wasn't seeing my videos in that feed. And I thought, ooh, that's interesting. So my videos are no longer being shared around YouTube. Um, well hopefully they are for some people who watch them anyway that was very interesting so if you like the conversations we have on the shows and you like the shows please share them because <laughs> YouTube is not sharing them so therefore I am um, yeah you know it's all about people hearing the message it's all about spreading that message it's not about how much money I make because I'm not making money from YouTube uh, it's just about spreading the message and um, and helping people that have a message spread it as well. So please like and subscribe and share the shows, all of them, and tell your friends to share them too. And thank you so much for all the comments that you leave. Uh, you know, they're 99%, 99.9% positive comments and I just want to thank you all on YouTube who uh, who do comment for your positivity. It's so great because I know YouTube does attract a lot of bogus people who say terrible things you know they comment with the negativity but I haven't been experiencing that at all lately and so I just want to thank you everyone who watches the shows for all your love walking your talk and um, continuing to you know, share the shows and, and watch so thanks so much uh, I don't think I've got any more to say lots more coming up I think Paul Selleck's coming next week and uh I have had a lot of surprise teachers into the Inner Sanctum, as I say, I've been on every week. Last week we had Swami Turthra, who has been on the show. 
He's the orange cowboy, such a beautiful soul, such a beautiful soul, lives in upstate New York on, on some property and um, he just, he dropped in the other day. We only had a few people online, but he dropped in and uh, was sharing his wisdom. It was so lovely. So yeah, if you want to join us, please do so and uh, love you all. Bye for now. Remember to get that book, Awakened by Death. Thanks.